Today's teaching text comes from the second letter of Peter, chapter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through him you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We did it. Can you believe it? Oh my goodness. Just soak it in. You made it through 2020. What a time. What a year. So many challenges. Here we are, safe in a new year. Just drink it in. I mean, who knows what this year is going to be like. Maybe it'll be worse. Maybe it'll be 20,000 times better. God, hear our prayer. Um, Here we are, folks. We made it. So proud of you. Hope you had a tremendous Christmas. Uh, I'm so excited to be kicking this year off with you, TGC family. You are so loved. You're so welcome. Um, We're still meeting on Zoom, but hey, uh, there's a lot of love on Zoom as we found. So we have an opportunity for a new beginning. Um, Maybe this year more than any others in recent memory, we we need that new beginning. Um, And maybe you say, as I think about this new year, I want it to be a turning point in my life. I, I, I want it to be a turning point in my habits or a turning point in my outlook. Or I want to change uh, the story that I'm telling myself, even the story that I'm telling myself about myself. Um, I want to change how I'm, how I'm moving through the world, how I'm expecting my days to go. And our life presents us these opportunities, right? The day begins, and, and we have this promise that the, the mercies of God are new every morning. We have the beginning of a week or the beginning of a month, and here the beginning of, of a year. And um, 
It's beautiful. It's a chance to take hold of grace. And grace is the, one of the essential messages of grace is that you can begin again, um, that we give up all hope of a better past and we begin anew with, with, uh, with the resources of God. And, and this passage that we just read, it really speaks to that. We're going to get into it in just a moment. But, you know, the statistics on New Year's resolutions, even though I have confessed this over the years, I love them. Um, I mean, you can find different data, but basically like less than 10% of our New Year's resolutions actually get completed all the way uh, to the end of the year. Many of them are held on for a few weeks, maybe a month, and then, and then they're abandoned, right? It's, it's almost a stereotype at this point. You go to the gym in the first couple of weeks of January, um, if that's allowed, and, uh, and, uh, and, and then things go, things go back, to, back to normal. Um, but maybe, hey, maybe quarantine showed us some new ways to, to exercise at home, and, and, and we'll put those, put those into use. One of, my, one of my favorite videos from early quarantine, maybe you saw this uh, getting passed around, was, uh, was a video of this Italian mayor um, who was absolutely lamb-blasting his town for, for going outside when they had just issued like the quarantine warnings in the beginning. And he has this wonderful Italian flair that I won't be able to replicate here, but he's basically like... I've been jogging in this town for years. I don't see you. You haven't been out there. Suddenly we tell you to stay home now. Everybody's jogging. Now you jog. Now you have a picnic. Stay home. Um, it, it, was, it, was, it was hilarious. And um, <laughs> I, I, I felt that, right? Did you feel that? If you were in, in, in the neighborhood here, uh, when quarantine hit, it was like the park just got absolutely packed and everyone like turned over a new exercise leaf. But... Something that the scriptures and sort of modern social science and psychology seem to agree on is that as human beings, we default to our habits. Uh, we can have inspiration, we can feel challenged, we can even want to change, but so often uh, our willpower is a finite resource, a, a resource that runs out. You know, we break our diets at the end of the day, we break our commitments after a while of, of sort of diligently doing them. Um, and and we, de- de- we default to our habits. Making new habits is a real challenge. And, you know, you wish it was as simple as I grew up hearing like, you know, three weeks, you need 21 days to establish a new habit. And if you do that, it'll be set. But I've had many times in my life where I've done something for 21 days and then fell off on the 20, 22nd or 23rd or sometime down the line. 30 days hasn't even been enough. Uh, most often, if we're going to really establish something that gets ingrained in, in our lives, we have to make a long-term commitment to it, and uh, we, we, might, we might fall off and, and have to re- restart, and, and sort of, it may take a few times. I had a, a friend of mine, a mentor of mine years ago say, you know, this is my tendency to sort of live in extremes, and he's like, if you're driving down the road and your, your car gets a flat tire, what do you do? It's like, you get out and you repair the tire. You don't get out and shoot the other three, which is sort of like what I do sometimes. I'm like, oh, I fell off my resolution, so I just shot the rest of the tires. That's a, a turn of phrase that we use in our house a lot. Don't shoot the tires. Um, but there's been tons written on, on habits and how they get formed and how, how, how we live in these uh, sort of rhythms of our life in the past few years. One, a book that I've referred to in sermons in the past is called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And um, he has this sort of description of, 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 of how a habit gets ingrained in our, in our patterns. There's a, there's a cue, something um, initiates the idea of this activity. And then we go through a routine, however small it is, whether it's exercising or smoking a cigarette or eating meal a certain way or going through our morning. 
And then there's a reward for that. There's some benefit that is associated with that routine that gets it ingrained in our, um, in, in our lives. So, right, we have this regular occurrence that cues you for a certain behavior. You partake in that behavior. And then there's, there's a result, a perceived benefit. So, right, how does this work, right? I, gr- I grab my phone uh, to put something in my calendar. Um, but then before I know it, just like the, the trained thumb, I'm already on social media and I'm looking at something I didn't intend to look at, or, or I flip my phone over to see what time it is, and before I know it, I'm checking email, or I'm in a, a deep, a deep news thread, or, or you know, maybe it's other things. I finish my meal, and I have a craving for something sweet. That's just part of how my 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 life has gone. Um, maybe you always brush your teeth and take out your contacts and drink water in the same order. So obviously, habits can be good, um, or, or, or bad, and so. You might respond to a stressful moment and say, ah, I need need a cigarette. Or you might respond to a stressful moment saying, I need to exercise, right? Both of those would be uh, sort of a cue. And then you go through a different routine and then you have a reward. I like have, you know, people don't get into, you know, a habit of smoking because it's it's all terrible all the time. There's some little release, you know, of, of, of feeling uh, relaxation. The same thing with, with exercise. In, in a more positive way, I can take this healthy option. So, you can get used to it, right? At the end of the day, I'm used to ending my day with a few cocktails or, or this television show is the way I unwind. And, and at the same time, you might say, no, I've, I've learned in this past year to begin my day in the presence of God, to begin my day listening for the voice of the Spirit. And uh, either way, these things can become, become habits. And we so often we default to our habits. So I want you just to think about your life for just a few moments here um, in kind of an organized way, um, we've done some, some things like this in the past, but we're going to get into the, the richness of this text and what it's offering us. But I want to invite you just to think about how you arrived in the world. I had this very vivid moment of, of being a kid, and I was carrying groceries in. And this probably happened before this moment, but I was carrying groceries in with my mom. She was ahead of me, and somehow the grocery bags banged together and this apple juice thing um, broke, and it cut my leg on the inside of my thigh, and I just looked down, and I was bleeding. And suddenly, right there, I was just like a young kid. I remember having this thought of like, as weird as it was, I exist. I exist. I am in this life, and I am traveling through the world, and I have this person who's my mother, and these people who are my family, and I live in this place. I didn't choose where I was going to be born. I didn't choose this family, but here I am. And, and the only way out of it is tragedy, right? It's death. It's like, um, and here I am hurtling through this existence. And that's a big thought for a young kid. But some like fragment of that entered into my mind. And maybe you've had those, those same types of thought of like, here I am, I exist. And so when we become aware of that, aware of our place in this world, we we're starting from ourselves, and obviously we didn't instigate the story. None of us, you know, chose to be born or chose to be born in this time. But when we show up in the world, we have some instruments for perceiving the world, and so we have our our, our bodies. We have the ways that our bodies take in information, and we 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 also have come to believe, um, you know, for the most part, that we are more than just a body, that we have some immaterial part of ourselves that that is like the the soul or or how, you know, whatever language you, you, you want to put to it. So if you think about yourself and then you think about what makes that self, there's, you have your body and then you have your soul, which we'll, we'll talk about like our mind, our will, and emotions. Again, we've, we've mentioned these things at TGC before and there's different ways to describe them, but for our purposes today, right, your body has these five senses that perceives the world and gets processed in your mind and your will and your emotions. 
your reactions become patterns, right? They become habits. And so those are like the initial first spheres of how we perceive life in this world. And then if you go like another sphere out from the self, right? My mom was ahead of me (laughs) carrying those groceries in. My immediate family is this relational world that I was born into. That relational world might be really welcoming and loving and kind and supportive, or it might be really harsh and neglectful or, or even outright aggressive. It might be, you know, like th- that, that those relationships are tremendously important for how we begin to perceive, is this a safe place? Is this an unsafe place? Do, do I belong here? Am I wanted here? Am I loved? And then there's an environment, right? Even if our parents really love us, there's sort of an unintended environment that gets created in our home that we live in, and we sort of begin to adapt and, and, and our habits and how we move through those situations, how we perceive, you know, aggression over here or sarcasm over here or the threat of punishment here or reward and praise. And we, and we move through. So we have ourself and then we have this like next sphere, which is like our relationships and our environment. And then we have meaningful action, right? Even from infancy all through growing up, we take, we take meaningful action. We learn to eat. Uh, we learn to, to smile and react to our, 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 our family. We learn to play, right? We learn to share. We learn to learn. Um, we experience bonding. We, we have someone, you know, we, either we read or someone reads to us our first stories, and then we learn in our imagination to enter new worlds. And maybe we set our first goal of doing something, riding a bike or whatever it is, tying my shoe, and, we, and then we experience the, the buzz of accomplishment and, and what comes from that. We you know, as we go through, right, you have these uh, higher levels of experience. What does it mean to have a crush or to fall in love? What does it mean to sense, this is my vocation, this is what I want to do with my life? And so, as we're sort of moving out, we have our self, body and soul. And then outward, we have our relationships, our environment, that next sphere out. Then we have meaningful action, these things that we begin to do. And sort of those three spheres are necessary for, for the basics of life. Even if, even if there's tremendous wounds and brokenness in, in, in those realities, that's, that's sort of how we operate in, in a given day, in a given season of our life. But for many of us, those three spheres, as meaningful as they are, as important as they are, as essential, as foundational, they're not enough. And so we began at some point in our, in our story um, to look for something beyond ourselves. We began to look for, and I, and I, I don't want to say... I'm trying to talk about this in a way that's not simply Christian or, or coming from a, a Christian worldview. This would be true, I think, for, for everyone. We have a self. We have relationships and environment. We have meaningful action. But we're, many of us, no matter what our belief system, are looking for a framework, a sphere of transcendence to locate our meaningful action in. And so whether it's a cause or, or, or a religion or a spiritual pursuit or, or something like a, a, a vocation that, that has, has, has meaning beyond just, just earning money, we, we're, we're looking for uh, transcendence, something that connects you to something bigger than just yourself, something that connects you to a larger pursuit. And for many of us, and this is where it starts to get into theism and eventually Christianity, um, we, we, we come to understand that tr- uh, transcendent aspect of our reality, of our world, of our longings in a personal way. And we come to call on God or a, p- a power greater than ourselves. And, and you know, th- then we, we come to these sacred texts like the scriptures that seem to indicate God has always been here. Actually, before you first conceived of perceiving yourself, God was previous 
um, that God holds and contains all these other aspects. And so the Christian view is that the, the widest possible circle, holding transcendence, holding meaningful action, holding our relationships and environment, holding ourselves, is God, a container big enough to hold all of that. Um, is, is, is so powerful. And then, and this is the Christmas story, this is the gospel, is that God has actually moved all the way into the center and taken on a self in, in our human story. He has entered history. This is the, the message of the incarnation, that the message of redemption is that he's come to heal all, us on every level of life, to bring his life to our life, to fill us with his spirit. Like, think about the reality of that. What we, know, what we know of the whole arc of redemptive history in the scriptures is that God's plan is to have a people, men and women, sons and daughters who know him so deeply, who, who are in union with him now and forever, that his very spirit fills our spirit. Whatever 2 Peter 1 is talking about when it says we participate in the divine nature, it's that God has come all the way in from the manger to our lives, to our story, to our very hearts, to literally fill our life with his life. Of course, it doesn't mean that we become God, but it means the character, the reality, the relational uh, re, you know, framework of our world begins to take root in our very, in our very heart, in our very lives. And that can shape, then from there, it begins to change everything. How we view ourselves, how we view our relationships, how we view our world. We talk at TGC a lot about the four relationships that, that, that were changed back in Genesis. God, self, others, world. All those things begin to be transformed as God enters into our story. This is, this is part of the gospel, but it's also part of what it means to be fully alive as a human being. I mean, part of my contention is that the more spheres you add, the more potential there is for meaning, for purpose, for a flourishing life, right? If you're just aware of, your, of yourself, that's, that's a, a, a narrow existence. It, it, as you add a, a relationships and environment and meaningful action, something transcendent, and maybe even God with a name, and then that God with a name is filling your very life, all of a sudden there's tremendous potential. God is moving in. Second Peter 1 is a powerful manual for that abundant life. It is a powerful manual for how to live in the fullness that God offers in every sphere of life. There's, there's such a fullness of possibility represented in this passage. And I find it really striking that scholars believe this is something close to the final uh, sermon of the Apostle Peter. And there's tons of debate about whether um, he dictated this letter to someone else who then um, uh, you know, sent it on or whether, whether he wrote it or, 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 or what. I won't get into those exact debates, but the scholars believe this is kind of a summary of Peter's life at, at the very end. He even mentions that he knows his time is short in this world. We have Peter's first sermon, of course, in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit falls and Pentecost begins and he lifts up this Jesus who's just been crucified and resurrected and his spirit is literally beginning to fill every part uh, of these believers' lives. And now we have him speaking to, to, this, to this group in a pastoral heart. Listen, there's sur- the, Second Peter is written to a church that is dealing with all this false teaching that's cropping up around them. And, and Peter's saying, let me hold the truth up, up for you one more time. Let me give you a summary of our hope. Let me give you a picture of the abundant life. There's all these rival ways of understanding the world, of understanding God. Some of them have begun to seep into your community. They're distorting your picture of, of God, right? The accuser will, will, will tell us the worst about ourselves, will tell us the worst about God, and will tell us the worst about the world. And the gospel comes in to begin to correct and to heal the, 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 those words. And so 
Peter is beginning this letter with a clear description of, of abundant life. And I want you to remember, just as we hear it, who this person is. This is someone who had walked with Jesus, who'd specifically heard out of the mouth of Christ this invitation, I have come to give you life and give it to you to the full. This is someone who knew failure, who knew what it was in a crucial moment to deny Jesus, who knew what it was to not just let go of a resolution to, you know, to lose weight or to, to read the Bible more, but who, who actually denied Christ right in the crucial moment of his betrayal. This was someone who knew what it was like not to live up to his own commitments, but this was also someone who knew grace, who had been restored on the beach over a meal of fish with Jesus and and been commissioned into a life of, of healing grace and love. This is someone who knew how to build a life. This is someone who knew what it was to root themselves in hope. And he says this, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I want us to begin this year reveling in this abundance reveling in the abundant life. This is Jesus Christ staked his integrity on this promise. I have come to give you life and give it to you to the full. Whatever he's talking about that's present in the promises of God is able to to, uh, alleviate, to heal us from, to, to draw us to another set of promises. The world makes a set of promises to us that forms our desires. And, and so many of us are exhausted from pursuing this rival set of desires. This is what uh, escape the corruption caused in the world by evil desires. We begin to, to long for things that are trying to meet a fundamental need in our life that only God can meet. So I want you to just, we're not even going to go terribly deep into these things, but I just want you to hear right off the surface of this passage, church, as we begin 2021, this passage says, in Christ, you have everything you need. You have everything you need. You have everything you need. And, and how is that, is, that, is that true? It's through relationship. It's through relationship with the person of Jesus. This, it says, through our knowledge of him who called us. Through this intimate, when the scriptures talk about knowledge, it's not just knowing facts in our head. It is through intimate communion. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have everything we need. He has come to us, right, all through all the spheres to, to fill our very lives with, with, with his spirit. This is the message of incarnation to show us the way, to say, here is the kingdom, to invite us in. And if we follow the way of Jesus, we have what we need for this life and beyond. But more than that, his death has opened up the way for us to be brought in, for us to be family. He's borne the burden on himself that none of us could bear. And what's the purpose? Here's the gospel message. On the cross, Jesus is offering us forgiveness and union. It's not just that our our sins are taken away. It's that our sins are taken away so that we can be in union with God, so his life can fill ours. And then then the resurrection, right? Uh, Peter's counterpart, the apostle Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin. Jesus takes that on the cross. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the victory he's talking about? The victory of resurrection, the victory of life forever with God. 
this rich welcome into his eternal life that's talked about at the end of this passage. So church, as you begin this year, as you begin to, to think about what this year might hold, I want you to know in and through your relationship with Christ, you have everything that you need. Even when that scarcity mentality is knocking on the door of your heart, knocking on the door of your conscience, telling you that you're not enough, that you'll never be enough, that this is for other people, we remind ourselves of the promise of the gospel that we have everything we need in Christ. Even that doesn't mean life is going to be easy. That doesn't mean that we're never going to have material needs. It just means that we have the resources through our relationship with God that could carry us through this life and into the age to come. The second thing I want you to see is the promise of the promises of God. And, and, and it's, it's tremendous. It says, through the promises of God, his very great and precious promises, we participate in the divine nature. I want you to think about the promises of God like a doorway that open for you the opportunity to participate in, in God's, God's nature. And that doesn't mean, like I said, that we become God. It means that that the character of God begins to be imprinted, formed on our character. Our most essential self becomes filled with the fruit of God's spirit. And some of those things are, are, are listed uh, a little bit later in this passage. But um, the, 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 the word at the beginning of this letter is, is, is a word righteousness, which is, is translated best basically like God keeps his promises, covenant faithfulness. So all through Israel's story, through the Torah, through the prophets, God has been keeping his promises. And so whenever your life begins on the timeline, right, God's faithfulness is stretching endlessly in both directions. Wherever your life begins on the timeline and moves forward, however far it goes, right, God's faithfulness is on either side of that. And we know there's a fulfillment of that um, Torah faithfulness, covenant faithfulness to Israel in the person of Jesus. And so um, what Jesus is helping us do is discover the God way. So when when Jesus begins to make promises to us. He's opening participation with us, for us, in the faithfulness of God. So we learn how to do conflict, but in a different way, in a God way that involves forgiveness and reconciliation. We, we learn to, do, uh, to manage our finances, not just in the way of hoarding resources for ourselves, but in the God way of generosity. We, we learn to, 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 to be parents, not in maybe even the ways that we were wounded as a kid with, you know, with, with heavy burdens of expectations that we had to earn favor, but with, with a new level of kindness and the fruit of the Spirit, where uh, we, we learn to be people of truth when even a lie would be more convenient. And because God has promised to, say, to, to stay true to his promises, when we live as if God's promises are true, we begin to participate in God's way, God's life, God's activity, God's character in the world. Essentially what this passage is saying is that um, the nature of God is, is a truthfulness, is a reliability, is an inner consistency that what God has promised to do, God will always do. To me, it's important to remind myself at that moment that that doesn't mean um, whatever metric I construct for God, God will always be consistent to that, but it's that God will be true to God's own promises. So that doesn't mean, again, that 2021 is going to be easy or that it's going to be a massive uptick in my circumstances from last year. It just means that I can, I can know God is going to be with me. I can know like about my anxiety that if I present my request with thanksgiving, that the peace of God, which transcends human understanding, can guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. I can hold on to that. I can live as if that's true. The foundation of God's integrity has become a firm foundation for us to build a life on, a precious confidence. The second part of this sort of like 
final message of Peter's life is that out of that grace, that extravagant grace, those abundant promises, we can grow in character and love. And the passage goes on, for this very reason, in light of all we've just heard, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Out of the extravagant grace of these promises that God has made to us, and specifically the promises he's made to us through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, make every effort, strain every nerve, give yourself wholly to growing in this character, and, and, and specifically this character that leads to a life of love. One of my favorite quotes from Dallas Willard, and, and I grew up you know, just hearing so powerfully that we come into relationship with God by grace, and we're sustained in relationship uh, with God through, through grace, and that's absolutely true. But that shouldn't put us in a place where we're not willing to make every effort to really plan and order and, 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 and move forward, even through difficulties of perseverance, into a life of character. God Dallas Willard said, God is not opposed to effort. He's opposed to earning. Right? There's no way that we could do enough righteousness on our own to bring ourselves into the family of God, but Christ has already done that for us. And life matters. Life matters. Our days matter. Make the most of your time. Make the most of this, of this year. Um, this list that we have of the things we're meant to, right? So at the beginning of the list is faith and the bottom of the list is love. And I don't have time to get, get into it, but um, this was a, a contextual tool that um, Peter and, and the people who were helping this letter get written were responding to particular philosophical ideas that were floating around in the community. And so um, sometimes you'll hear this list in this passage get described like, like it's just building blocks and you have to have um, one on top of the other in this exact order. That's more than likely not the case. It's basically saying, listen, a life of faith has to flow out into these realities and it has to flow out into these realities so that it becomes a life of love. A li- hear this if you don't hear anything else from this list. A life of faith must become a life of love. And so, of course, that's going to mean growing in knowledge, our understanding of God and his word and his promises. It's also going to mean growing in self-control, a reality of the fruit of the spirit, that we control how we spend our time. We control how we respond in challenging situations. We we control how we spend our, our, our money, how we engage in our appetites. And over time, that begins to create godliness or virtue in our lives. But then it's not going to be easy, right? We know we're going to experience tremendous resistance. So we're going to need perseverance. But what's the ultimate point of this? It's that we live a life of love. And we do have two different um, Greek words for love that are mentioned here. We translated in NIV, NIV, mutual affection is the word Philadelphia, filio, right? It's, uh, it's brotherly love, brotherly affection, love that we have for our fellow human being. And then agape, right? The God type of love that gets in the midst of, of our story. So we have filio and agape, these two different pictures of love. And it's, it's all the way back to Jesus summarizing what's most important in the world. Remember when he was trapped by the teachers of the law? What's the most important thing in all Torah and all the law and the prophets? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Agape, filio. 
For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is such a... (laughs) Uh, American New York City verse, right? This is like, we hold on to this. Yes, what will keep me from being ineffective and unproductive? (laughs) And the reality is, this is basically a life of action and a life of fruit. It is a life where uh, the promises of God become a foundation for our living so that that we're not just revolving in a space of selfishness, but that we're bearing fruit um, that will keep you from being idle and unfruitful in, in, in your life. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Church, there's more in this passage than we could possibly ring out in, in, in you know, uh, one sermon. But I want to invite you to put this somewhere in your house. Put this on your refrigerator. Tape this to your, your mirror in your bathroom. Put this in a place where you might see it first uh, when you wake up. This is a passage Second uh, Peter 1, 3 to 11, that I want to challenge our entire church to memorize here in the beginning of 2021. Because uh, my hope is not just that we would understand this in an intellectual way, but that we would realize, right, you have everything you need for life this year. You have everything you need through your relationship with God. He has come all the way to us in the person of Jesus. That's what, just what we, we celebrated at Christmas. And, and in these promises he's made to us in the gospel, we actually get to participate in his very life, his divine nature. And then there's a list of things we begin to grow in. Right? You might make, if you're going to make resolutions, this is a fantastic list to begin with. How will I grow in knowledge this year? How will I grow in self-control this year? What, what way will I be the first to forgive in my family? What way will I mo- model a servant sort of heartedness in my, in my workplace? And, and, and maybe you use these exact categories as a way to say, here's small things I want to grow in. But the reality is for most of us, it's not going to be some um, you know, epic year-long resolution that's going to change us. It's going to be changing our individual days, changing our individual moments, learning to live on these promises. And the, and the promise here is so profound. This will basically give give you an invincible life. You will never stumble. Can they say that? Of course it doesn't mean you're never going to have difficulty. You're never going to run into grief. You're never going to have a year like 2020. We can't say that. Of course we might, but we, we have everything we need to endure, to continue, to live the God way, the Jesus way in the middle of that. And there's a daily and a future hope connected to it that we will receive a rich welcome in the presence of God, in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening of our real lives, our real day, and then one day in the age to come to be welcomed in to have him say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to invite you, plan your year, absolutely. I love to make resolutions, but I've learned I can't just make a year-long resolution. I have to plan my days. I have to get specific. What's my morning going to look like? What are the essentials? For an afternoon for me? What are the essentials of an evening? Like, how am, I, how am I gonna spend my time? I wanna invite you at the beginning of this year to plan your days and surrender your life. Plan your days with the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. Make every effort to make the most of every 24 hour period that you have. C.S. Lewis said, The present is the only point where time touches eternity. You wanna know the only moment that you can live by faith? It's now. You can't change the past. You can't change the future. You can live in relationship on the promises of God right now. Love the Lord with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe you use those two as, as a way to plan your day. However, Every day, am I going to cultivate love for God and love for my fellow human being that that I'm I'm walking with? 
Plan your days and surrender your life. A, a person's heart plans their way, but the Lord directs their steps. I think that needs to inform uh, how we think about this, this year that we're, that we're entering. So really practical as, as we close. Um, I think that this, this passage invites us to find the promises of God and to live on them, to live as if they're true in such a way that we participate in his nature. So church, I want to invite you, find a promise of God every single day. This is, has become a part of, of my life. I go, uh, for years, I've read the lectionary, which gives me a psalm, a reading from the Old Testament, from the New Testament, and from the gospel. And I, before I read it, I pray. I say, Holy Spirit, give me something to hang on to for this day. Then I, re- I read it, and I, and I write that often, write that down, or I hang on to that, to that promise, and I carry it through my day. If you want to join in with me, this year, I've been te- you know, we've been doing Alpha for the last five years, and Nikki Gumbel, who helped uh, start the Alpha course, has a Bible in a Year program um, where it's a you know, s- selection of readings. It takes you, as you see, through the Bible in a year. And then Nikki has a few things he says a- about the text each day. If you want to go through the Bible in a year, I'm doing it. Right? We're only a couple of days into the year. Jump on, catch up. Let's do the Bible in a year together. But my challenge is find a promise from God every single day that you can hold on to and that you can live out of. It is through his very great and precious promises that we participate in his nature. This is how you become a Christian, right? John Wimber famously said, the way in is the way on, right? You, you, you realize a truth about God and you realize how that intersects a truth about yourself. And so you believe a promise from God and then you act on that promise. That's how you first believe the gospel. That's how you grow in maturity. That's how you add the things that are on the list in this passage. I'll give you just a couple of promises as we, as we close out um, our, our time today, if you're struggling to feel accepted, like this is always for someone else, I'm, I'm constantly feeling beat down in my own uh, accusatory thoughts or, or, or sort of in, in a sense of, of, of not belonging, right? Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No matter how you feel about yourself, the, the everlasting covenant faithfulness of God says that in Jesus, you have peace with God. God has given us his very shalom. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Do you struggle to feel accepted? Wash your heart with that promise. Do you struggle to feel complete? For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ. You have everything that you need. Wash your heart with that promise in, in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. Are you wrestling with insecurity that, that God is going to uh, condemn you, that he won't forgive you for the things that, that you've done? Therefore, there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1, right? Are you beginning to see how we do this? We wrestle with meaninglessness. Ah, oh, my job is such a beat down. I'm tired of going day after day to this place where I'm not appreciated. I'm not seen and doing work that I, that I don't even really like. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Do you realize that you have spiritual fruit to bear in this world, even if you feel like the, the tasks that you're having to do in, on a daily basis at your job are not what you would choose first? Begin to ask God, show me where the spiritual fruit you're calling me to bear is. Give me a confidence that whatever I ask in your name, I, I, I will have, right? Maybe you're thinking, I, it's 2021, I'm already three days in, and I've repeated some of the cycles of behavior that I swore I wasn't going to return to. 
2 Corinthians 10, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought into captivity to, to obey Christ, right? We have pow divine power to break these cycles of behavior, to break these bad habits, to replace them with something new in the kingdom of God. Many of us believe we have to go outside of God really and truly to find satisfaction, to find happiness. Jesus said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come to give you life and what? To give it to you to the full. God knows the deepest needs of our life, the deepest needs of our soul. He can meet them. He has come to give us life abundant. What are the essentials of your day? What are the essentials of your morning? What are the essentials of your afternoon? What are the essentials of your evening? Maybe it's as simple as like, I'm just going to begin every day, even if it's really short, finding a promise from God and praying a few sentences. And I'm going to begin my day reflecting and saying, God, where have I gone wrong today? Forgive me of my sins and give me your peace as I sleep, right? Maybe that's that, that bookend. What if you did that every day of this year? How would it change things, right? You've heard the statement, we, we, we overestimate what we can do in a year. We underestimate what we can do in 10. Maybe you don't write the great American novel this year, but maybe you begin a morning writing practice that actually does, over the course of the next decade, you write five books or four books or, or whatever, what, and replace that with your thing. What are the essentials of your morning? What are the essentials of your afternoon? What are the essentials of your evening? I hope that I, I, I need this. I want to live beyond re my resolutions this year. I want to live as someone who's counting on the promises of God and participating in his divine nature. I want to receive right now in this moment and forever the rich welcome into his kingdom. May his nature be formed in us, church. We don't know what 2021 is going to hold. May his nature be formed in us. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just... I lift up our church, Lord. I want to pray right along the lines of this passage that we would believe we have everything we need through our union with Christ, that your promises are access points for your nature, that you have a whole life of things that we can begin to add to ourselves to, 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 to grow in faith and to grow in love and to grow in the richness of being a human being, that you've given us a share of your glory, God. We worship you. We give you thanks for that. I pray that you would help us to plan our year by planning our days, planning our mornings, our afternoon, and our evenings. Lead us by, our Holy, by your Holy Spirit as we begin, we begin to, to, to make new routines in our life. Lead us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.